chapter number nine, and I hope that you grab one of the outlines on the way in this morning. There's an outline in your bulletin that you can follow along with the message. And uh, if you need one of those, you can grab one of those real quick. And uh, if you would, if you're able to this morning, stand with me to Luke chapter number nine, out of respect for the word of God, Luke nine, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 28. And so we'll let you get there. Luke chapter number nine. Anybody need a bulletin this morning? Raise your hand right here. Keep your hand up if you need one, didn't get one, and he can get one to you. Thank you, Brother, Brother Vaughn. All right, Luke chapter number 9, beginning in verse number 28. The Bible says, And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings. Now, uh, we, we, we don't have time to go back, but if we're here we are in verse 28, chapter number 9 of Luke. Uh, Jesus had sent out his disciples to to go into the cities and villages, and of course they had came back, they reported to him. Uh, the conversation among them was, whom do men say that I am? And of course the answer came back, well, thou art the Christ. Uh, Jesus fed the multitudes here. And then the Bible says, when we get to our text, it says that, that it came to pass about eight days after these sayings. So there was a, a time period there of about eight days and so we pick it up here where the Bible says that after these sayings, he, Jesus took Peter and John and James, and he went up into a mountain to pray, and as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening, and behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, or Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And they departed from him. And Peter says, and, and the Bible says, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud, and there came out a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. We're going to continue our, our, our theme for the year as magnified today as we get into this portion. I, I want you to think on this thought, the Lord magnified in his glory. And let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this tremendous portion of the Word of God. Pray that you'd use it, help us to see what you would have for us today in our lives. God, that you would be magnified the way you were that day there on that mountaintop. And Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the Word of God. Now, when you think about the disciples and the ministry that they had. And of course, that ministry that they had, they were called out by the Lord to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The disciples had been traveling with the Lord. 
uh, their ministry with him was about three, three and a half years. And as we come upon this particular scene, it's farther along in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to be honest with you, the disciples were stung by the thought that Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem and that when he got to the city of Jerusalem, that he would be tried, that he would be mistreated, and that he would be put to death. This was something that just didn't sit well with them, and it almost seems like the disciples had forgotten that, that Jesus had told them that he would be put to death, that he would be resurrected from the dead. Matter of fact, here we are in chapter number 9 and verse number 28. If you have your Bible, look back just a few verses at what the Bible says in verse number 22, right before. Now, again, the Bible says about eight days had passed, but look what happened in verse number 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. That's amazing how forgetful people can be. You ever gone like me into a store and come back out and forgot where you parked your car? <laughs> Aren't you glad for those clickers, you know, that, okay, I forgot where I'm at, but you're walking around the parking lot. I've had a few times where I've tried to be a blessing because I've seen people walking around, sometimes elderly folks, and I'll walk up to them and say, can I help you find your car? And I've tried to do that. I'm hoping whenever I get to that place, somebody will do that for me. But nonetheless, the disciples quickly forgot that Jesus told them that he was going to be treated this way, that he would suffer many things, and that he would be put to death, and that he would be resurrected from the dead. Now, on top of that, if, you're, if you have your Bible, I want you to look at an amazing statement that Jesus makes the verse before we started reading our passage today. In Luke 9, look at verse 27, the Bible says, Jesus tells them, I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. That's a pretty amazing statement. Now, this doesn't happen a lot in the Bible. The Bible gives much prophecy. Matter of fact, there is prophecy that has already been fulfilled. And there is still prophecy in the Bible that is yet to be fulfilled. What we're going to see this morning is that this statement, this prophetic statement that Jesus makes, is actually fulfilled in the very passage that we're going to study this morning. That doesn't always happen, but we'll see it today. It's, in other words, this passage is dealing with what many times people call the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Now, this, ain't, this is not necessarily the mountain, that, that particular transfiguration. This is just a visual this morning. But when you look in the Bible, here's what you find is Jesus, the, re, the record of his transfiguration takes place in what is known as the synoptic gospels. The, the word synoptic means to see alike or to see together. There are four records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but there's only one gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when you look at this particular event, the transfiguration of Jesus, it takes place in the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but it's not recorded in John's gospel. And as you look at one of those three, notice in your notes in Mark chapter 9 and verse number 2, 
The Bible says, after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain, apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. He was what? Transfigured. Now, we read Luke's account, and Luke did not use the word transfigured, but notice Mark uses the word transfigured. And we're going to take a look at that this morning. Now, what you find is, is that these three individuals, Peter, James, and John, they, think about this, got to see a glimpse of his glory. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be up on that mountain and to see and to behold the Lord the way that they did? Now, I will tell you that according to the Bible, God is not a respecter of persons. Jesus did not have his favorite, because if he did, it would contradict the very pages of the Word of God. Jesus loves everyone. As a matter of fact, the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But these individuals were privileged. Now, we know, how many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. Now, that included Judas at this particular time. We know that Judas eventually betrayed the Lord, but Again, there were opportunities like, for instance, the raising of Jairus' daughter. Uh, when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, these were some of the other instances along with this transfiguration on this mountain where these three individuals, Peter, James, and John, and we could talk a lot about that, the reason behind that, but again, we're going to stay tied in with our text this morning but I want you to listen to what Warren Wiersbe said about transfiguration. He said that it means a change in appearance that comes from within. And it gives us the English word metamorphosis. Matter of fact, if you look in the Bible and you look back to the original, what you find is the word transfigured is the word metamorphosis. And we all know about the caterpillar and the butterfly, right? And you have to understand that Jesus was God in the flesh. The Bible tells us that he took upon himself the form of a servant. Jesus came to this earth without ceasing to be God, and he lived among us. And the Bible says he robed himself with flesh. We call that the incarnation. And so Jesus here in this particular instance, he actually shows us, notice first of all, the revelation of Christ's glory, how the Bible says that Jesus is on this mountaintop, and notice he's there with a select group. I mentioned Peter, James, and John. Now, again, this was the Lord's doing. He chose these three to be witnesses of his glory. The Bible says in Mark chapter 14, and I referenced this earlier, that he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. That's from where Jesus had gone into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus knew what, what was going to happen in just a short amount of time. The cup. And he prayed that prayer. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Do you remember what Peter, James, and John, and Jesus said, watch and pray. And when Jesus came back, what were they doing? Sleeping. Just like a good Baptist, right? They were asleep. But yet Jesus had chosen them to go in there. Now, why, why would they, the Lord do this? Now, there are many reasons probably, but I know this. The Bible says in Matthew 18, 16, and look at the verse. The Bible says, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee 
one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So when I look at this, their presence there on the mountain that day with Jesus would just verify the glory of God had been revealed. They were there. They saw it. Now, it was quite clear that with Jesus coming on the scene and all the things that he was doing and all the, all the talk among the people, there was a lot of confusion about who the Messiah was and what the Messiah would do and how the Messiah would establish the kingdom of Israel, how all this was going to take place. And everybody had their own opinions about it. But it's for sure that Jesus took this opportunity to reveal his glory and he did it to a select group of people. And that group of people, Peter, James, and John, they saw, notice, a supernatural glory. Look in your Bible in verse 29. The Bible says, and as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias. Now, Jesus' glory was temporarily visible to these individuals. The Bible says his countenance was altered. Now the word countenance, we would use the word face. Something happened. The face of Jesus before them on this mountain was different. The Bible says his raiment, his clothing, it became white and glistening. It was radiating. I mean, this would have been one of those moments that if you would have had them, you would have probably put on some sunglasses. This was a sight that was an amazing sight. Adam Clark said, that fullness of the Godhead which dwelt bodily in Christ now shone forth through the human nature. We see something very similar to this happening when Moses went up to meet with the Lord. And the Bible says in Exodus 34, it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hands, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come nigh him or to come near him. They thought, what happened to Moses? You know, something visibly took place as Moses was on the mountain spending time with the Lord. Now, the Bible goes on to say here in our passage, look at verse number 30, Behold, their talk, while his, his countenance was altered, while his raiment was now white and glistening, their talk with Jesus, two men. And the Bible clearly says it was Moses and Elias. As we look at this situation here, Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus. Peter, James, and John are there. The Bible says here they are. Now, it's significant that it's these two individuals that are there talking with Jesus. And one thing for sure, that it's very significant for the nation of Israel because both of these men, Moses and Elijah, are mentioned in connection with the glorious coming of the Messiah. Look at the Bible says in Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament of our Bible, the Bible says, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, 
for all Israel in the statutes and judgments, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now again, why, why Moses? Why Elijah? Well, the Bible says that Elijah, of course, we understand he represents the prophets. What did the prophets in the Old Testament do? They were the ones that prophesied, that foretold the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Moses represented the law. Now, Moses represented the fact that the law was given by God and that law was to be fulfilled by Jesus. There was a day when Jesus, one of the most famous sermons in the Bible that Jesus ever preached is called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Jesus went up and he spent a little time and he gathered the folks around them and he begins that famous sermon with what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they. When he gets through those Beatitudes, Jesus makes a statement in verse number 17 of Matthew 5 and look what he says in that verse. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. Now, the law and the prophets is a direct reference to the entire Old Testament. Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not, look, people thought that Jesus came to be an insurrectionist. They thought that Jesus came, he was a troublemaker, that he was wanting to overthrow government. He wanted things to be his way. He was, he was, and and by the way, that's what everybody wanted Jesus to do. They were tired of the oppression of of the government. Anybody else tired of the oppression of the government? Don't raise your hands, all right? But, but here's the thing is, is they, they just wanted someone to do away with this tyranny that they were living under, and they were looking for anyone, and when Jesus came, many of them thought, this is him. This is the one that's going to help us. And that's how they looked at Jesus. And so they thought, Jesus was just coming, and he was going to do away with everything. But notice Jesus said, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. He says, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus says, look, I am the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. Now understand, at this particular time, they didn't have the entire Bible like you and I are holding in our hands today. But the word of God that had been given, Jesus said, if you just look, and we can still do that today, you can turn through the pages of the word of God in the Old Testament, and you can go from Genesis all the way to Malachi, and what you're going to see, page after page, book after book, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the word of God. Jesus said, look, I didn't come to destroy. He says, I am the fulfillment. I see Moses and Elijah here talking with Jesus. And just by seeing their presence there, it also reminds me, and it should remind you of the hope that we're going to have one day for glory. Look at the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place, is it not? Because we'll see the face of Jesus. But think about this. Here they are, Peter, James, and John. And they're privileged to go up with Jesus. And he reveals his glory to them. They see this glory. And then notice as he does, why? 
Well, there was a specific goal. In verse number 31, look in your Bibles. The Bible says, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, notice the, the word there is not disease, it's decease. Two totally different words. The word decease is actually a word that means to depart from life. Jesus knew. Remember the Bible records the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem and people waving the palm branches, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then it's just a short amount of time and the crowd is crying out, crucify him, crucify him. When I think of what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, look, it's not going to be long and I'm going to leave this world. And I will tell you this, Jesus did not come to stay. The Bible says he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And can I tell you that the Lord, even though he's in heaven today, he is still seeking and saving the lost. We saw that on Thursday right here in this auditorium. But I find that the Bible tells us about Jesus and his life in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 9. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, say that last statement with me, should taste death for how many people? Every man. Do you know there, Jesus died for everyone? Doesn't matter what race, what skin, what background. Doesn't matter what sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I find here a specific goal. Jesus came, why? To complete the Father's plan. We oftentimes call that the plan of salvation. The Bible tells us, look at this verse. I love John 4, 34. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Do you know you cannot separate the person of Christ from the work of Christ? Because if Jesus would have came and not gone to the cross, it would not have been enough. But Jesus did come. And Jesus willingly went to the cross. And he laid his life down so that we could have eternal life. Aren't you glad Jesus finished the work that he came to do? And so Jesus here reveals his glory to a select group that he, as they see his glory, there was a specific goal. Jesus said, I came. And he says, it's not going to be long now, he says, and I want you to understand this. And as Jesus shares this with Peter, James, and John, notice the Bible records the response of Peter. Now, I don't know exactly, and you saw a picture a little while ago of a mountain. And by the way, that was one of the mountains that's in the Holy Land. Many believe that the mount that it's referring to, the Mount of Transfiguration, was Mount Hermon. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if any theologian knows. I'm not here to debate that, argue that. I just know this, that the Bible records that they went up to a mountain. Now, we used to live out in California, and my wife and I, we used to love to hike. You know, you can't really hike in Florida. Everything's flat. Unless you want to hike the landfills, that's about all you can hike. 
But when we were in California, there was one place that we would like to go, but we knew because of California and the summer and the heat that if we were going to do it, we had to get out there early. Because from where we started to the top, it was an elevation that would go from where we were to 2,000 feet. And it took a couple hours to get up there. And it was kind of unique because it was a trail that you could start this way and go up to the top and come down over here, or you could start here and go up to the top and come down over here. But it was kind of unique because if you went up this way, they had what they called switchbacks. Switchbacks, you kind of go backwards and forwards as you continue to go up the side of a mountain. And the elevation's not like this. It's a little bit more or less gradual than it was on the other side. The other side, it was almost like this, and I'm not kidding you. It was hard to keep your feet, your footing as you were going up the other side. And I actually hiked it both ways. One day I went there, I don't know what my wife was doing, I went and hiked it myself, and I hiked it twice, 11 miles. And we used to love to do that. Now, when you look at this passage, the Bible says that Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he went up to a mountain. Now, again, I don't know how big the mountain was. I don't know which mountain it was. I just know that according to the Bible, they went up to this mountain, and it probably took the better part of a day to get up there. You know, they probably had to pull Peter up the mountain while they were going up it. But they get to the top of this mountain, and the Bible says when they arrive at the top of the mountain, what does Jesus do? Jesus begins to pray. Now, if it was you and me, we probably would have tried to find a place under a shade tree and sit down and catch our breath. We'd have probably been looking for something to drink, you know, thinking about how much we had just done, the energy we had just exerted. But what does Jesus do? Jesus begins to pray. And so the Bible records that as they're there, Jesus begins to pray. We see that Peter has a response of the flesh because the Bible says in verse number 32, Peter uh, and they that were with him were heavy with what? Sleep. Now you might understand a little bit more why maybe they were tired because they had spent, I don't know, a couple hours, better part of a day, they got up to this mountain and they're worn out. And the Bible says that they were very heavy with sleep And so here they are, they begin to drift off to sleep. And as you look at this verse, it says, and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. Now, I've been known, especially the older I get, I've been known to pretty much fall asleep in just about any position. I think the only position I've not fallen asleep in is standing up. That would be detrimental to my health. But I was, the other day I was sitting on the couch and, and I don't know what exactly was going on. My wife was on the couch with me and next thing I know I'm enjoying life because my eyes are closed and my, I'm digging my, chest, my chin into my chest. And, uh, and so I don't know how long I was out, but all, one thing I know is all of a sudden I feel something on my, my leg, my knee, and I went, oh! you know, and I look over at my wife and she's like, I was trying to just gently wake you up. And I said, thank you for gently waking me up. Now, the Bible records here that that's exactly what happened with Peter and James and John. It says they were heavy with sleep. And the Bible says when they were awake, they saw his glory. And here they are. They're startled out of their sleep and they see the glory of God. They saw his personal excellency. And apparently, as they were sleeping, you know what they missed? 
They missed the conversation between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Man, if you're going to sleep, don't sleep while three of the greatest men that ever lived are talking. I mean, I love to get around uh, people and hear them talk about things, but man, can you imagine the conversation between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah? The Bible says that they fell asleep. They missed it. And I see this response of the flesh, but that response of the flesh was followed by a response of faith because the Bible says that as they were startled out of their sleep, in verse 33, it came to pass as they departed from him. That's talking about Moses and Elijah, that as they were leaving, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias, not knowing what he said. He didn't know everything that Jesus had said. He didn't know the conversation that they had just had. And Peter was there and maybe he was thinking about the fact that, and, and the scripture shows that he's thinking about something that according to, uh, uh, to the Jewish calendar, it wasn't going to be too many more days before they had what they called the Feast of Tabernacles. And Peter thought to himself, hey, listen, instead of us going to Jerusalem this year, which is where they would go, he says, listen, this is good. I mean, here we are, it's, it's you and Moses and Elijah. Why don't we just build a tabernacle for each one of them? Let's just celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles right here on this mountain. Now, Peter wanted to prolong that, and it was uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles was where the Jews would look back and they would think about how God had provided for them in the, the wilderness journey that they were in and, and how God had taken care of them. He had sustained them. He provided food for them and water for them, and their clothes did not wear out. And this is also a time that the Jews would anticipate God's ultimate deliverance. And Peter undoubtedly understood the significance of the presence of Moses and Elijah there. And it's much like the psalmist said in Psalm 27. Look at the verse. One thing the psalmist says, have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The, look, the Feast of Tabernacles, the, the, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, they would go into the city of Jerusalem. They didn't have the Holiday Inns and, and, and the Red Roof Inn. and the, They didn't even have Motel 6 back then. I mean, they didn't have the, the luxury that we have. And so as they would go into the city, they would oftentimes set up like a, a tent or a booth. Many times they record how even the, the tops of these, that, that there was an opening in the top of their tent or their booth, and as they were in there, of course they were there to celebrate in the city of Jerusalem, that they could look up, they could see the sky, they could see the stars, and they, could, they really could be thinking about God and how God had delivered them from their wilderness journeys. Peter says, look, maybe we can celebrate this while we're here. This is a good thing. He says, it's good that we are here. I mean, Peter starts out like many of us with a response to the flesh, but then he sees the significance of it and he has a response of faith. And while Peter is making this statement, notice the record of the father, because as they're there and Peter is, and James and John are, are seeing Jesus and Moses and Elijah, all of a sudden God shows up. God himself was present at this occasion, and when God shows up, look, listen, aren't you glad when God shows up in your life? You know, I, uh, look, what's the sense in having church if God's not here with us? 
Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst of you. Look, I want to meet with God. I hope that's why you come to church, is to meet with the Lord. The Bible says that while they're there on this mountain, look at verse 34, while he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered into the cloud. Anybody else get up early enough this morning to see the fog? I got up and walked. It was so thick that when I got back to the house, my entire head of hair was soaking wet and it wasn't from sweat. It was amazing. And and I, I think about what happened here on this mountain. Here's Peter, James, and John with Jesus. And Peter's, Peter's the one that he's speaking out. Hey, listen, this is a good thing. Maybe we ought to make these tabernacles. And the Bible says that this cloud comes. It was a fearful cloud. As you look at this, the Bible says, while he was yet speaking, there came a cloud. And notice this word, and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered into the cloud. The word overshadowed in that verse The only other time you see that word used in the Bible, guess where you find it? Where Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. And she became a virgin that would bring forth God's Son. The Bible says that this cloud where God the Father was, that it it came over them. It, It pulled them into this cloud. It was a fearful cloud for them. The Bible says they were afraid. God's answer to Peter's question, to Peter's suggestion about making these tabernacles, God throws this cloud over them and and he says, look, it's not about booze and and it's not about having tabernacles. It's the only thing that you need, God is saying to Peter and James and John and to us today is we don't need uh, to set up uh, monuments and tabernacles. The only thing we need is the Lord. That's what he's saying to them. And when the voice of God was speaking they were hearing this, but when the voice of God ceased, what happened? The Old Testament saints, Moses and Elijah, they're gone. See, it was a fearful cloud, but from that cloud came a faithful message. The Bible says in verse 35, while he, uh, it says, and there came a voice out of the cloud, and look at the voice said, this is my beloved son, hear him. I mean, I, I think of this statement here. This is a message from the Father about the Son to those that were privileged to be there today. When I think about us here, we're not on that mountain. But I can tell you this, what this world needs to know is God the Father still says that this is my beloved Son, hear Him. God is still wanting us to understand that Jesus is declared to be the Son of God. Psalm 2-7, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. Remember I said earlier, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three record what we call the transfiguration. But remember, Peter, James, and John were there on that mount. And Peter, one of those, wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in his second epistle, notice, for he received from God the Father honor and glory, when, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard 
when we were with him in the holy mount. Peter says, listen, I saw it. I heard it. I witnessed the glory of God being revealed. I didn't understand it at first. But eventually I started to understand and I heard the voice of God saying, this is my son. And listen, the father tells his disciples, I want you to hear what my son is saying. Can I tell you it's still the same today? Matter of fact, all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, notice what the Bible says, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee, notice a prophet. Do you see in your Bible that's a capital P? Because there was a lot of prophets that stood for God. But the Bible says there will be a prophet from the midst of thee. Of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. I will raise them up a prophet, again capital P, from among their brethren like unto me. And will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name. I will require it of him. You know what Jesus was doing? He was being a prophet like unto Moses. Matter of fact, you find it even in the New Testament. I think about how yesterday we were out and we were knocking doors and telling people about our church and inviting them to the services. And if people gave us an opportunity to talk to them, we talked to them about the Lord. And I, I walked up to this house and the garage door was open. And I, as I got closer to the garage door, I saw a man in the garage and I walked up and I, I kind of held it out and I said, I'd like to give you an invitation to our church, invite you to our services. And the man looked at me and looked at it and he says, oh, I'm a Jew. And I looked right at him and I said, you know, Jesus was a Jew. And he didn't even know what to say. God sent forth his son for everyone. God so loved the world. Folks, we have, we have bought into this matter of religion. It's not about religion, it's about a relationship. And understand that as this message comes from the Father, he says, this is my beloved son. He says, look, Moses and Elijah, they were great men. I used their lives, but they cannot save you from your sins. You need to listen to my son. And then notice we see that the record of the Father finishes with a finished experience in verse number 36, look at the Bible. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. And I thought to myself when I read that verse, most people probably wouldn't have believed it anyway. If they tried to tell them what they witnessed, what they saw. How God had spoken from heaven. How they had seen Moses and Elijah and they were gone. They saw Jesus in his glory and yet once Moses and Elijah were gone, there was just Jesus standing there. It's kind of amazing how the Bible kind of gives you this thought. This may be one of the rare times that Peter didn't have a word to say. They just stood there silent. You know why? Because it was a time to reflect. This happened up on a mountain. Jesus never intended this to be a public spectacle. It was for them privately. God wanted them to see his glory. And 
The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, 7, there's a time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak. You know, if there ever was a time for Christians to speak up about God, it's now. This world needs to hear about God. We need to magnify the Lord. God desires a change, a change in all of us. I think of the Apostle Paul in the Bible. Paul made this statement. He said, I've not yet apprehended. You know what Paul was really saying? I'm not there yet. I got a lot of growing to do. I I know in my own life, I've got a lot of deficiencies. There's a lot of room for improvement. But I'll tell you this, the change that needs to happen first in our life is a time that we've come to know Christ as our Savior. The Bible records in 2 Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The Bible says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Are you saved today? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Because that's where it begins. God's change begins in our hearts, and it's from the inside out. If you are saved, God's still wanting to change you. The way we change is by spending time with Him, coming into His presence, beholding His glory, and listening to what He has to say. You see, the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind and that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you're saved today, are you doing God's will? Are you doing what God has saved you to do? Does your life magnify the Lord? Would you bow your heads with me this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? I want you to think about this. You and I may never have an opportunity like Peter, James, and John. Not counting Judas, the other eight never got an opportunity to go and see the transfiguration of Jesus either. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. What is it that God has shown you? And what are you doing with it? You see, as God changes us, as we spend time with Him, we behold His glory. Our lives then should magnify Him. I'm convinced of one thing. That Peter, James, and John were never the same after this mountaintop experience. They never forgot. They might not have talked about it for a while. But I wonder, when's the last time you had a real experience in the presence of God? And you've let God have his way in your life. Would you stand with me this morning to your feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? The piano is going to begin to play and the altar's open this morning. Why don't you come today and say, God, I just want you to be magnified in my life.
thank you for working in my life the way you have been. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. The altar's open this morning. If you need to trust Christ as your Savior, why don't you come today and receive the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Why don't you start that new life? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And if you are saved, are you doing God's will for your life? Jesus said, I came to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. See, it's not about what you want or what I want. It's what does the Lord want. Would you pray today? Right there where you're at, God help me to put my agenda, my things that I want to do in this life, put those aside and do whatever it is that you want. Not my will, but thine be done.